This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Konnichi, what's up, primos? Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. The Blasian Blurred, and this is episode 203. Uh, forgive me in advance, my my, speak, my speech is very strange right now because I am talking with um, closed teeth, mostly closed teeth, uh, because I am only a few days after my surgery, and um, to be Frank, I'm probably not healing very well because I'm talking too much. <laughs> uh, and I've just been in so much pain. It took a couple days until the doctors actually assigned me pain meds. So it's it's been a bit of a nightmare. It has been a bit of a nightmare. Uh, but I wanted to record this last intro, which is my last intro I am recording while still living in the United States. And at the time I am recording, I am a week away from my move to Medida, Mexico. But by the time y'all are listening to this, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, I still have a couple more days to go. I leave on Thursday the 23rd, <sighs> if everything goes well, because life is still chaotic and who knows what's going to happen. Um, this has been a rough couple weeks. I'll be honest, it's been a rough couple weeks. Uh, preparing for the move and also having to prepare for this dental emergency surgery that I've had, dealing with some health stuff with my cats. Dealing with grieving the loss of a cat from four years ago, but I'm still not over it. And it's the time of death anniversary uh, last week. Uh, plus the trip to Austin, Texas. It's just it's just been so chaotic. But the positives are the BIPOC POP conference at UT was amazing. Uh, well organized, well put together. Like such an amazing small conference uh, for BIPOC uh, pop culture and media. Uh, amazing panelists, great topics, great comic book creators. Like I've connected with so many people that um, some will end up being on Militantly Mixed in a couple months, some will end up being on Blurred Comics. Uh, it was just a really, really great time. One of the better small conferences I've ever been to. Um, and I want to talk about it in more detail, but given my mouth and everything, I'm going to kind of maybe talk about it at a later time if I, if I can. If not, it'll just kind of fade. But um, it was really an amazing conference. I'm really glad I went. So I was there from March 9th to 11th, and I spoke on two panels, one as a moderator at the Super Heroic Indigeneity panel, uh, and one I was a panelist on called Queering BIPOC Pop and Media. Um, I, was in, I was in real good company. I had some amazing co-panelists, and the topics you know, we really engaged on on some of the the heavier sides of um, pop culture, media representation for indigenous, Latinx, uh, black and brown people, blood quantum, 
uh, how queer most of our cultures were before white people got on boats. Like we really got into it. It was amazing. I had such a wonderful time. I'm so glad that I went. Uh, and then I got home and I immediately had to get myself in the headspace to be prepared for surgery, which I had on Monday the 13th. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just been really crazy. And then at the day I'm recording, I also had four of my cats at the vet to prepare them for the move and found out there's some additional health stuff going on. So it's just been so creative. It's just been so crazy and chaotic that I am really looking forward to taking a month off. Um, so that not only can I transition a little bit easier into my move to Medida, but um, also just I, I need a break. I, I have exceeded my brain capacity um, and my stress level for a while, I think. I'm really looking forward to this upcoming mental health hiatus in April. Uh, next week, though, I do hope to have recorded something for y'all from Medida, like to let y'all know that I got there, uh, to talk about my first couple of days of experience, and then I will go on hiatus. If it ends up being too chaotic or something and I don't release an episode next week, I will still post on social media to let y'all know that I made it there. Um, and then I will take a rest for a few weeks and then start to prepare for the next, I don't really do seasons, but I guess I can call it a season, next trimester of militantly mix uh, for the episodes that will start from May through July. So that's the plan. Before I get into today's episode, which is going to be amazing, by the way, uh, I do just want to uh, remind y'all that the Be Your Mix SF anthology, uh, we have extended the submission date for your nonfiction essays and your poetry. Uh, that date is now April 15th. Um, I did receive some emails in the last couple of days asking, like, are you sure I saw I saw March 15th and then I saw April 15th? Yes, April 15th is the new deadline. Um, extending it both for y'all, because I did get some people who still wanted to enter but hadn't finished anything yet, and for me, because my life is really too chaotic to start reading <laughs> already. So I think this is the, the best situation for everybody involved. Auntie Teresa is also busy with uh, freelance journalism work as well, so giving ourselves that extra month, I think, will pay off for everybody involved. Uh, you can go to militantlymixed.com and click on the Be Your Mix Self Anthology tab to get all of the information and the guidelines on what you're able to submit, how to pay your submission fee, and how to send in your nonfiction essay or poem. And uh, and yeah, that's the best place to do that. In addition to that, um, the week before last, I had mentioned that we had sort of a swing in the Patreon sponsorship. Um, one to do with uh, someone had emailed me why they were going, um, having to do with family issues, and then they'd come back. And then the other one, I don't know. Uh, but the but it, it put us into a negative in terms of the March bill, so I got a little bit worried about it. And I, I just mentioned that like if everybody who listens to the show donated a dollar a month to the show, you know, it would be easier to handle big swings. Like when somebody drops out of a 50 or a hundred dollar, um, a month, uh, donation sponsorship. And, uh, and I, y'all came through, uh, shout out to Kyoto and Gretchen and Nina. Um, Emily, I think as well. There's been a few other people, and I'm sorry I'm a little foggy right now. I, I am still on pain medication too, mind you. Um, 
uh came through and and made some drops in the in both patreon and the tip jar uh to help catch us up so we actually caught up on the monthly expenses for uh march and in addition to that had a little bit extra so i was able to pay down a little bit extra of that um, debt that I had talked about incurring to produce the show in 2000 and 2001. Um, so I was able to make an extra payment down on that as well, which uh, is actually a tremendous relief. So thank you all to everybody who um, listened and, and pitched in to help get through uh, this little rough patch of the Patreon. And now we're back up and over the $400 a month um, mark, which means next month will be nice and smooth, hopefully as well too. If you would like to sponsor the show, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed and uh, you can subscribe at different levels from a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish. There are different rewards depending on what you choose. And let me tell you, if um, between the 4,600 and 6,400 that listen to the show every month, um, we do have this weird range. Like sometimes a year it's 4,600 and sometimes a year it's 6,400. I don't know why they're opposing numbers like that. But if you're one of those people and the show gives you life and there's something that you pull away from it, if you could even just hit at that dollar a month, $12 a year sponsorship, it'll go a long way in the stability of the show and keeping us going and growing. So thank you to everybody who has done that so far and to the people who are thinking about doing it because it really, really does help. And I think that's it. I'm going to get into today's episode and wrap this up because a lot of change is coming in the next couple of weeks for me. Uh, my guest today is the dopest fellow purple-headed uh, platform creator, Alex Chester Iwata. Uh, she is the creator of the Mixed Asian Media Platform, um, and along with her amazing team, they are representing for mixed Asians out in, in media spaces. And in the last five to six years, has, has I've seen the growth tremendously online. Um, also, Militantly Mixed has been featured on the Mixed Asian media uh, page as well with an article that was written by cousin of the show and friend, naturally, Mona Lisa. Uh, Alex is dope as hell. We have known so many of the same people for years and have never actually encountered each other until we recorded for this episode. I feel like our vibe was instant friendship. I absolutely believe in, in the future that will be some kind of mashup between Militantly Mix and Mix Asian Media, um, if not just like the constant shout out and support because I love what Alex is doing. I think she is a whole vibe and really had fun uh, talking to her on this episode. So I'm also really glad to have placed this interview um, as the last in this first trimester of 2023 before I go on the mental health hiatus uh, because it was such a happy and uplifting episode for me. In a few days, I will hopefully, if everything goes smoothly, if my passport comes in on time and my cats are healthy, I will be in Medida, Mexico the next time you hear from me. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest Itoko to the Militantly Mixed family, Alex Chester
I am joined by Alex. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and we'll get into it. Hey everyone, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Alex Chester Iwata, pronouns she, her, hers. I am located in New York City at the moment on the unceded uh, home of the Karnase and Lenape people. And uh, I am the editor-in-chief of Mixed Asian Media. Yeah. And oh, and, oh, yeah. and your mix. And my mix, of course, after uh, I am half Japanese American, half Ashkenazi Jewish. I, I said when we first jumped on too, like we know so many of the same people, but we have managed to not connect. We have not hit each other in any of these circles yet, but we have a lot of people in common. Um, so I was excited. Like I instantly popped on acting like I kind of knew you, but I don't. I just have seen you on the internet. Seen you and I've seen you friends. on the internet. <laughs> um, so I'm so glad to get a chance to to chat with you and your fellow uh, Nihonjin. So let's Yay. get into it. Yay. Uh, and we both have purple hair, although mine's very faded right now. Um, I love that. I was going to comment. I was like, yes, purple hair. It's my favorite color. <laughs> Same. I got purple knit. Like, all my stuff is purple. And uh... <laughs> my backpack is purple. Like, yep. Pretty much okay. everything. My whole, all my desk stuff. I have this cute little fan right here that's purple. Love it. Uh, yeah. So, we, we, I feel like there's some kindred stuff between us because I've been, I've been, you know, internet stalking you for 100% for a little while now. Um, so I guess probably the first place that we can start off in is uh, a little bit with mixed Asian media and your acting career and all the kind of stuff you were doing. I, I feel like I know that part of you getting involved in mixed Asian media had a lot to do about your growing up in the in entertainment industry. Yes, right? 100%. So, I mean, I've been in the entertainment industry since I was five and it's, I've seen a lot Good things have changed and some things have not. But my constant narrative has always been in the entertainment industry, you're not Asian enough, you're too exotic, mm -hmm. next to the white lead, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of that and much more has led, led me to start Mixed Asian Media. Mm -hmm. I was just so fed up of not seeing representation for mixed APIs out there. Mm -hmm. And so tired of not having our stories represented and so tired of being put in a box mm -hmm. and having to feel like I had to fit in that box. It's exhausting as I'm sure you know. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things too, that you like, what always frustrates me about us not being casted more often or in more diverse friendship circles in a show or, or a movie or something like that is that it never looks like my world. Like it, I've never oh. seen a situation in where there's more white people and one token of color person. That's never been the world that I've maneuvered in. So it's always been confusing that we're not more represented. Exactly. And especially here in New York City or in LA, where in I'm LA, from, yeah. right? Like so diverse. Um, I mean, granted growing up in the entertainment industry, it was very, more often than not, I was the only person of mm -hmm. any ethnicity ethnic heritage with a bunch of white people but my had you also group, played non necessarily asian or specifically not japanese characters as well um primarily asian full mm -hmm. asian uh roles i would at the time when it was or i would go out for latinx roles mm -hmm. at the time um right now i would definitely say nope that's sure. not my story to tell. But, you know, as a kid, there wasn't many options. Yeah. Now I tend to make my bread and butter as the ambiguous character. Of course. 
best friends, I'm assuming. Oh yes, the you know the the best friend or the <laughs> the character in the commercial that is apparently something that's not white that makes the white people comfortable. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, I've, I've mostly worked on the other side of the camera in the entertainment industry, but it was always the same type of thing. And, and the, the comfort at which they openly talk about us oh. when we're also in the room. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. The entertainment industry is, is pretty gross. It is pretty gross. I was just so fed up with it, and I really want to change the entertainment industry and make it more, if it's even possible, to make the entertainment industry a safe space. <laughs> I'm trying. I am trying. There are some <laughs> groups that are trying to do a lot of things. I mean, we finally have something of a, a parody agreement with certain number of women on, uh, you know, cast and crew and stuff like yeah. that. We're starting to see more of that. You're starting to see, um, what's the term for these people? Like, they're like a a sex safety coach person oh, uh, um, uh, intimacy coach intimacy coaches you're starting to see that finally and finally um and okay that's that's more broad of an inclusion type of thing but it's it's something that's necessary and hopefully we can start seeing you know maybe half of your friend group in a in a tv show might look not more colorful you know like it just never it never looks the way it's ever looked in my life and so i've always been confused why why they think nobody will relate if there's more than one i person. yeah it's it's we always ask the same questions too so uh, but for you specifically you uh you so you describe yourself as japanese american and ashkenazi jewish how many generations are you do you know that Third on three on both sides on both sides oh okay were your family from the internment generation then? Yes, they are. Okay. So my grandfather uh, fought in the 442nd Regiment. Mm. Oh, and, wow. then, and then the rest, the whole Japanese side of the family was interned. And mm. then my other side, my Jewish side of the family was, you know, escaping Nazis. Sure. So they came after they the came, war as well then? Well, I, I guess I sh they, it was right before World War II. So. Okay. Um, they came around World War One, I, I want to say. So they, my grandfather, my great grandfather, the on the Jewish side, was a tailor for the Russian army, and things were getting really bad in his village. And the Russian army liked him, so they said, "You need to leave because it's going to get real bad for the Jewish folks." Wow. So he escaped to Paris. That's where he met my great grandmother, and then they, she got married at sixteen, as you do. <laughs> and then things were getting bad for the Jewish people in Paris. So then they came to the States. Um, you would think he was a tailor for the House of Worth in France, which is like this amazing tailor. I mean, the gowns, if you look it up, the gowns they made are just stunning. Anyways, you'd think they'd be like, New York City, we are here. No, no, no. They went to Nebraska. <laughs> right? Jewish side of the family went to Nebraska. Lincoln, Nebraska. Did they have any connections? That, like, how did that I happen? think... There was like a cousin or mm. something that was there. And that's why they went to Lincoln, Nebraska. But it was just, it still boggles, boggles my grandmother's mind. Sure. So to this day, she's like, my grandfather was like this amazing tailor in Paris. And then he goes to Lincoln, Nebraska. You could see like the outside of the tailor shop being like, wh wherever in Russia they were from, Paris, Lincoln. Just right. Hilarious. <laughs> 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 uh, 
So with you coming from being three generations American, how much access do you feel like you had to your, like say home back home, home country cultures growing up? Um, I was raised primarily by my mom and grandma who are Jewish. Mm. So I was raised kosher. We had a kosher okay. household. Um, we weren't, they're very liberal human beings. So we weren't like uber Orthodox. We practiced high holidays. We didn't belong to temple because we couldn't afford it. Mm. And mm, that's never something I've heard. Yeah. You have yeah. to be able to afford temple. Yes, you do. Oh, yes. Yes, you do. And I didn't, I wasn't bought mitzvah because once again, we couldn't afford it. And I saw my dad's side of the family rarely and they were very Americanized. Like no one spoke Japanese anyways. Yeah, yeah. So I really don't feel that my dad wasn't connected to his Japanese roots until towards the end of his life. I would say he was a little bit more. Oh, okay. um, and then I just didn't grow up with it. Even my cousins didn't either. Yeah. We were, very, were very Americanized. So I do identify more as a Jewish woman. Mm. Like that's first and foremost. And then like Japanese American. But I don't speak Japanese. I speak a little French. Mm. Um, I grew up with some Yiddish words here and there. Yeah. It's interesting too because, well, I guess before I even make an assumption based off of what I see as a mixed person looking as a mixed person, have how have you maneuvered? Has it always have people the way they I want to I want to say make space for you in a room are you being made space of as a person that they're assuming is white or are are people seeing that you have something else going on oh, they always see I have something else going on. Something. I have I mean I will be the first person to say I know I do have privilege in the fact that my of my skin color I do know sure, that sure. And I acknowledge that 100 percent but I will never be considered white by white people. I don't, they're always like, oh, what else are you? Like I get, once again, there's that word, you're so exotic. Right, yeah. My yeah. favorite sentence that everyone My favorite says word. to me. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's, and then of course, white people, they tend to fight with me over, well, you don't look half Japanese. I even mm -hmm. get that from monoracial Asians as sure. well. Yeah. You don't look half Japanese. And I'm like, well, what's a half Japanese person supposed, supposed to, to look, look like? like? Right, like, yeah. Tell me, please. It's crazy, too, because a lot of the mixed white Asians that I've spoken to on this show specifically will almost always prompt me. And this was before, like, Instagram was the active way that people were finding the shows. They would prompt me with something like, you know, I, I look white, but I am mixed Asian, so I just want to talk to you. And then they would pop up on the screen and I would look at a mixed Asian person and I'm like, oh, no, they told me there's a white assumed person. So I'm like, I have the wrong person. I have the wrong notes. And I think I'm being unprofessional because I'm looking at what is clearly a mixed Asian or Asian person um, to me, but they've been treated like a white person their whole life. And so you're one of the few mixed like Asian. Well, I guess does your fit your Jewish side, do you think of it as white in the way I, that I don't not really right? Yeah, I don't I, I feel like for Jewish pe the pe people of Jewish heritage, and I mean, Jewish heritage, sure. like you are born the ethnicity, the, not the ethnicity. necessarily the religion. Exactly. I you will never be considered white especially here in the United States. You know what I mean? Mm. You'll never, you'll maybe like white, like just a little bit below. White adjacent, yeah. White adjacent. So I've never felt that I ha had that or looked like that. My mom has very like 
dark features as mm-hmm. well. Um, and we're very, very Eastern European, mm-hmm. I would say. Sorry, my cat is, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay, we're pro cat on military. Okay, cool. so. So he may pop <laughs> in here. I have. <gasps> Oh my God. <laughs> I love I'm, o- I'm only supposed to have this is why I didn't say the number out loud because <laughs> the landlords live downstairs. But <laughs> I love <laughs> Yeah, they're so they're such babies. Um yeah, we're pro cat here. Okay, so but but with the any of the sort of lighter skin, like the way somebody receives the mixed Asian folks, I've always gotten people that have come on the show and they're they're they move or they're um told like they're seen as a, a white person or, or more likely a white adjacent i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure they are being treated like an a you know adjacent to white or model minority than necessarily I so. and i also would imagine it depends upon where you are in the country as well mm. and also but, like yeah. where how you've grown up like not many people grew up in the entertainment industry right and so, then, yeah, and we're all over LA too. Like yeah. it's one of the few places, especially for Japanese, is that they're, you're like, no, no cat, don't. No cat, don't. Stop. <laughs> it's hilarious. So it's always interesting for me as as like the host when I get a mixed Asian who moves like a mixed Asian, even though in your case, I guess you don't really necessarily have access to all of. I mean, that was, yeah, that was taken, taken away. away from us. And also most of the Iwata family moved to this country. So, mm-hmm. oh, you know, really? I, everybody, everybody moved. Like, I think I have some distant cousins there mm-hmm. that I saw on my 23andMe, but mm-hmm. my dad's family doesn't know who the hell they are. Interesting. So it's not like I can go to Japan and be like, hey guys, what's up? Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm your distant cousin. Right. That's not going to happen. So because everyone is out here and they've been here for so long and incredibly Americanized and our, you know, everything was discouraged to be Japanese because Mm -hmm. of internment that it was taken away. Like they're. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. And this is something Sophie and I have talked about before too, because we're both post our families came here post Mm -hmm. internment. My grandmother is a, a world war two generation you know, she grew up during World War II, but in Japan, she didn't come here until the late 50s, early 60s. And then uh, Soph's father came in, I think, the 80s or so. Yeah. And uh, and so, like, when we, when the she and I interact with other mixed Japanese, especially internment, we realize the difference between what our families did in, in um, assimilation versus what families had to do in assimilation pre, prior to internment. So, and I mean prior to internment. Uh, because they were still coming off the back of the Chinese Exclusion Act and all those other things that were happening for Asians that people don't seem to know that much about here in the United States, um, mm-hmm. where all the Asians were kind of grouped on Angel Island in uh, in the Bay Area and just kind of reviewed until they got a chance to come here. So the way in which Japanese figured that out and started to assimilate into American culture early on, y'all were probably already American-American before even internment hit. Oh, absolutely. Like my my gra- grandfather absolutely was. So it's just, it's it's sad, it's it's fascinating. And I, I do hope that history will not repeat itself, but I tend to be a realist and not very optimistic on things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think after, I think it's fair to say even after 
two to three generations that you you do become a different thing like yes it's japanese heritage yes it's ashkenazi jewish heritage but if you don't if language food and like traditions start to disappear you become you yeah exactly. you become a totally different thing i mean fortunately on my jewish side i i grew up with a lot of Jewish recipes and Mm I have them. And then on my dad's side, like we kept like mochi and stuff like that. And (laughs) we eat cold soba, like soba noodles for the new year, year, things like that. Um, But like my dad recorded a video of my great aunt who lived to like 106 making her chili recipe, not Japanese curry, like American chili. Yeah. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Cause I can see like things with my grandmother who, again, she came here from Japan and she's, she's the, I lived with her. So I grew up with, with access to her, but the way in which she would do something American, but in a Japanese way, like she would make chili, but she'd put it on rice. They used to drive me nuts as a kid because I couldn't figure out how these two things work together as a kid. Mm-hmm. Me today, please. Oh, it sounds all right. Though anything all right, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) It all works now. But when I was a kid, I was just like receiving some kind of strange embarrassment, even being inside the house of just being like, no, what are you doing? Because they're teaching me to assimilate. And yet at home, we still held some of this, you know, Japanese stuff. But I can tell that my family is different from the ones that there's the side of my family that moved to Hawaii, there's the side of my family that stayed in Japan, and then there's mm. my family that are mainland Californians. Mm. Um, and all of us are, all of us have different degrees of access. The ones in Hawaii have more Japanese than like me and my family. And yet I'm out, out here constantly, like I'm trying to learn the language. I'm trying, you know, I'm eating more of the food, like all that other kind of stuff to, to try to keep it connected. But I don't have anybody to pass it to. I'm not having kids or anything like that. So it's entirely selfish. Yeah, I I definitely would say the way I connect to my Japanese side is through food, just because mm-hmm. I love food in general. Um, and then I do enjoy playing around with combining flavors. I think yes. Japanese and Jewish food go really well together. Oh, I bet. I, I kind of feel like Jewish food is, I mean, Ashkenazi-specific Jewish food is very, I don't want to say blah is flavorful, but you're not going to find any spice. Just like Japanese food, you don't tend to find like the spices that you tend to find in like uh, specific regions of like Thailand or, you know, China, right? Sure. They tend to blend well, like uh, matzo ball soup. Instead of making matzo balls with schmaltz, you would make it with sesame oil. Sure. Yeah. And then, uh, instead of what type of, instead of like carrots, I would use like daikon radish. Mm. So right. it, it tends to like blend well. It makes sense that that would work out too, given, I mean, you said the origin being sort of Russia, Russia and Japan being so close together. I mean, I know Russia is huge, but similar environments, especially in the Northern parts of Japan. And some of those people kind of look the same too, that their foods might be very similar and that they would pair well with each other. Might Yeah. I mean, I, I came up with that rest. I'm sure someone else has done it before me, sure. but like, I was like, Hmm, I wonder if this would go together. And it did. I love hybrid foods. I, I And it's one of the questions that I kind of ask if someone brings up food is like, is there a dish that you have? So for the people that we both know, um, I remember Mona Lisa saying she likes chicken feet because she's Chinese and she's Jamaican and both mm-hmm. have their version of chicken feet. But depending on what, it still satisfies both. So you could have maybe Chin- Chinese style chicken feet, but with mm-hmm. a Jamaican style rice or vice versa. 
That sounds so good. Right? It, and it sounds like it would be perfect together. And then in yours, in my case, I imagine throwing rice on anything um, <laughs> would make <laughs> would make it right. right. But with your flavors, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of foods that, that work together. Even just changing the oil, I think, too. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that is, that's hella good. I like it. Um, so in terms of your work, so your work right now is split between mixed Asian media and you still being an active entertain, you know, actor and things like that. I'm right? trying to make mixed Asian media my full, I mean, it, it, to be perfectly honest, mixed Asian media is my full time thing mm-hmm. now. Um, but I do act on the side. Like I'm still auditioning for TV and like commercials, mm-hmm. um, some theater, but I am taking a step back from like musical theater. Yeah. Just because it's, it is a commitment and I don't have the time to be doing regional theater for like three to six months mm-hmm. and run mixed Asia media and fly off to LA or wherever to cover a, a red carpet or, or the celebrity. I just right. don't have, I don't have the bandwidth. There's not only one of me. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's, that's why. And, and uh, for lack of better words, I don't, like how the theater industry has n- not really changed the way the TV film industry mm. has. Like, I feel like there's more, there's a little more accountability in TV film okay. versus theater. And I'm not sure why that is. I think it's probably because there's a broader reach there's more social media surrounding it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like for theater, they tend to slap a Band-Aid on something and they're like, it's fixed. Look yeah. how woke we are. Can and it's recast this one. Yeah, yeah, look, oh my God, we made this role, you know, a BIPOC character now and it's fixed. And Don't change not. the character in any way, shape or form. Just cast a brown person. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or look, oh my God, we have so much BIPOC playwrights on Broadway. Oh, but it closed in like two weeks, the show. You know what I mean? No, but, yeah. but we're trying, but we're putting we're band-aid trying. on things. Yeah. So I, I just tend to see that things aren't really changing in the theater industry, but, and things are more, they're, slowly but i do see a, an upward trend of change mm. in tv film yeah what is the biggest thing that you're hoping to accomplish with mixed media then i guess there's a few things on a business level i want to make it sustainable sure meaning like it can get popped onto the next I'm in that same club <laughs> i want to make it sustainable yeah. um i feel like these next couple of years are really crucial for that mm-hmm. and hopefully it'll happen we are definitely like a 180 from where we were even last year which mm-hmm. is amazing and what I want is just to, for the next generation of mixed Asians coming up to feel they have a place to belong, that maybe this has helped heal some of the traumas that they've experienced. Maybe they won't have necessarily the same traumas because they'll have had this platform yeah. from a very yeah. early age. Right. So like, there's, you know, there's two different things that I, and I think they go hand in hand because if I were sustainable, then this will continue. Mm-hmm. If it's not sustainable, then this won't continue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel with this kind of work to decide to do, and you know, it's, it's fluid to a degree. There's, you know, ways in which you can change it or whatever, but at the heart of it, at least in my cases, it's really just like, give me a place to exist where I don't always have to explain my existence. Oh, 100%. And it's 100%. such a relief to have that. It's a big weight off my shoulders. And I know for fellow um, folks that work with MAM, like that are in the part of the MAM team, that it's also been like a big healing for them as well, where they can just exist and be, and there's no explanation. 
needed. Um, you don't feel like you have to coach switch constantly mm-hmm. and you don't, you just, you can just be, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I guess that's what white people must feel like is you can just be. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so it's just, it's just, it's been really nice. And fortunately I've had mixed Asia media for five years now. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed a big difference in how I approach the world. My confidence level as just a human being yeah. has yeah. changed just because I'm not afraid to take up space and I'm very unapologetic about being mixed Asian. And I'm very proud of my heritages. I'm not, a, I don't feel like I have to apologize for being only half. Right. Or even to have to lead with your percentages, which is something that I think uh, when I was younger, that was a thing mixed kids did. This yes. current generation of younger people. So I don't know if, what are they? Z, generation Z or something like that. These yes. people seem to be talking about their heritage and their identities so much earlier in life that by the time they're teenagers, by the time they're in their early twenties, they're a lot, they seem to be a lot further along in that confidence level of moving in a space as a mixed person versus necessarily a half this and half that or whatever. Agreed. I think also because many millennials now are parents and they are more aware of mixed identity, whether or not they are mixed or, but their kids are mixed. Mm-hmm. They are willing to have those conversations that our parents weren't, didn't even have the vocabulary to have right. these conversations. Um, I think social media has really helped this, of course, because growing up, there wasn't really the language to discuss any of this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a MGM. I my, both of my parents are biracial. They didn't talk to me about being mixed necessarily. I mean, there was things that was just kind of the unspoken thing. I had a black grandparent, I had a Japanese grandparent, I had two white grandparents, one of which I never saw, you know, like, one was from England, one was, you know, like, I I had different cultures. And I understood that these were separate entities that other kids didn't have, like, I got Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But whether or not I understood, like, that I was going to maneuver a world in which I was going to have to tell people constantly what I was, because they were always going to have to ask that was not that was just not in the way that my family spoke. Mm -hmm. And so the to see it happening now, it's a mixed bag because what's happening now also is a weird kind of lack of inclusivity with the younger generation where they're like, we're mixed, we're not whatever mm. their mix is. So mm. like, I'm part black. So in my thing, we were black. They did not acknowledge that I was also Japanese, but they, they owned me as black too, not in an exclusive way, but in an inclusive way. The current generation is not doing that. The younger generation is not doing that. They're, they're like black and mixed are a different thing. That's fascinating. Maybe it's true that it's a different thing. I don't know how to maneuver that way. So for me, every time I hear it, I'm like, okay, just let them let them have their identity. You know, like you do. You do it's not mine. <laughs> I really just go back to that mixed bill of rights by Dr. Maria P.P. Root every mm-hmm. single time. I'm like, I can decide today I'm going to be Japanese. Tomorrow yeah. I'm going to be Jewish. Like you, no one gets to tell me my identity except for me. Right. And it can ebb and flow however I feel comfortable. It's, it's the empowerment that comes along with finally accepting that you determine what you identify with and that that is not fixed, that those two lines of that Bill of Rights was very, very freeing. Um, very. I was like, whoa, yeah. where was this when I was five? Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing because I, I put it out every so often, like I'll put it back up on the on the social media every so often. So new people do start to discover it. And I'm always amazed 
that it doesn't come up in a search when someone's, you know, that late night thing that you do when you're mixed yeah. and you don't have community and you're just like, da, 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 da. it surprises me that that it doesn't come up in the high part of the search about mixedness. So when I post it every so often, like, you know, once a year or something like that, I'll get a whole bunch of people sending me messages about, oh my gosh, I never heard anybody say anything like this. And and for me, my my tiny little version of that is my slogan of the show is be your mixed ass self. And whatever that means to you is what it means, right? I mean, I don't go into the detail that she goes into, but the way that people have responded to that, the freedom that it gives, uh, I think it's a lot more meaningful because mixedness to me has changed dramatically in the four and a half years that I've done this. I imagine in, with oh. mixed Asian media, you've seen the way mixedness is treated has changed so much just in the that last too. few years. It's just even how like we as a team at Mixed Asian Media approach our mixedness, even in the articles, um, if you look back to like issue one, it's like, whoa, oh my gosh, baby, yeah. writing this stuff. Uh, it's definitely changed. Like I do feel like if there's almost a culture around mixed identity mm -hmm. and I don't know exactly what that looks like just yet because I think we're in the middle of it. We're, like, yeah, we're, it's just starting, yeah. We're just starting because I think there's more to it. Like there's more to mixed Asian media than writing about, oh, I don't belong. I wasn't white enough. I wasn't Asian enough. Or I wasn't yeah. black enough. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's now our stories are now changing even on mixed Asian media of going into more nuances of like, what does it mean to wear a sari at your wedding? If you are only like, if you are half or a quarter, what does it mean to be a quarter Asian and taking up space as an Asian? Mm -hmm. And I feel like these conversations have definitely changed even just from issue one to where we are at now. Yeah, exactly. Same, same with my first episodes. Like there's some episodes I've gone back to listen to and I'm like, woof. I, I mean, I would, my heart was in the right place, but what, you know, whether or not I understood how to really communicate and like the fact that I got further along past some of those early episodes at all, I'm grateful that I got a you're part of the change. You're part of the yeah. people that are creating that language and creating that space. So of course, like you are at the forefront of this change. Yeah. Do you feel that there is room for, you know, your, your eighths, your quarters, your sixteenths to take up space with unapologetically without having to necessarily explain why they feel that they can take up space through what you've seen in your work? Um, I feel like there's a lot of, there's more of code switching that happens even more so than the halfies is, mm -hmm. is for lack of better words. Like we have a few, a couple of writers that are a quarter and they are so adamant and I'm, I'm like power to you. So adamant that I get a, I want to identify with my Asian heritage. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's just part of their coming to terms with themselves as a human being. Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what that looks like. I'm not sure if there's a right or wrong answer there. I do think that one always needs to acknowledge whatever privilege you hold, mm -hmm. first and foremost, uh, and realize that your story isn't going to look the same as a full person's story. Like, sure, it's just sure. not. And I think that's something that I want to make sure that people are aware of. But I do see that in the few articles that we've posted that our Quapas have really just they want they really they so crave that acknowledgement i'm i technically am one of those although um i'm culturally fairly evenly split so it, i i can uh, you know like empathize with that that sense of it because like my face 
Asians don't know that I'm Asian. I mean, if they think I'm Asian, they think I'm Filipino. Mm. Um, or they're acknowledging you're probably white, but what is maybe the Asian that you have or something like that. It's very mm. rare that I can enter a space as an Asian and be an Asian. And I don't necessarily take that as not being Asian enough. I kind of take that as like, that that's why I requoted Ryan's um, quote to me. <laughs> whenever I do, whenever I do anything, yes, I kind of I kind of restate Ryan's statement a lot, which is it's not that I don't look Asian; it's that you've never seen an Asian that looks like me before. And, um, it's such a good fucking line. Like I, I like I both love him and want to punch him that he came up with that. <laughs> It's so brilliant, right? So brilliant. I mean, it's so brilliant. I have to say, I've, I've since that episode and since his quote, I definitely, when I'm have the privilege to speak among other Asian American groups, which I've been very fortunate to, to have a platform where I can chat with other entrepreneurs, other business leaders, other community leaders, I really do try to emphasize just because this person doesn't look necessarily Asian, they probably, they might be. And it's just, we have to change our mindset of what does Asian right. look like? Because my face is no reflection of the cultures that I was raised in. Exactly. You know, and uh, I, well, although I do acknowledge that I am technically half white, I don't like to do the percentages anymore, but acknowledging that I'm technically half white because both of my parents are biracial and both of them were a white, different whites, but white. Um, I didn't grow up with the, the white grandfather's culture, so I don't know what it is to be an Appalachian, um, you know, whatever type person. Um, for my British culture, though, my Nana lived with us for part of time. I also lived with my Japanese grandmother for a period of time. I grew up in predominantly black neighborhoods, so I identify hierarchically black, mm -hmm. Japanese, then British. I always make sure I say British versus white to make it very specific. This is the kind of just like. I think it's important too when Jewish people distinguish being Hebrew versus Ashkenazi Jewish or you know whatever because it is a different you're you have a different culture even if you have an ethnicity that binds you but European Jewish people were all over Europe so yeah. they all have different influences as well um, so I feel like uh, our faces not necessarily reflect reflecting the culture and to to identify as mixed and tell me if you feel this way too. I think it's like, okay, we're ethnically multiple things. So in that case, yeah, sure, fine, we're mixed. But I think to identify and mix, it, that is race, ethnicity, and culture. All of those are kind of tied together. And even though some of us may or may not have full access to the different cultures we come from, we at least have an ac enough access to know that we're not in one monocultural upbringing. Yes, I, I totally agree. I also think, for me at least, and my years with Mixed Asia Media now have made me see mixedness as a hundred percent of something that I don't. I don't think I'm half. Like, yeah, Same. percentage wise, twenty twenty three of me says blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah right? sure. But me as a human being, as Alex, I am completely one hundred percent me. Yeah. whatever that looks like. And I think that's something that can't, I can try to teach other people that through our articles and mm -hmm. through everything. And then hopefully people will, will come to terms with that, but that's something they have to accept for them as themselves, right. as an individual. I think exposing the thought, which is something that both of our platforms do, exposing an idea that maybe a mixed person is sitting through, but they haven't 
Mm-hmm. When something gets named, sometimes it's a lot easier to start addressing. Like, was oh, I moving 100%. through the world not as a Black Asian? No, of course I was moving through the world as a Black Asian. But hearing those words, it's not that I don't look Asian. It's that you haven't seen an Asian look like me. Yes. That crystallized the way I moved in Asian spaces. And I 100% credit Ryan to this because oh. I didn't start moving in Asian spaces until he said that to me. I love, I, that needs to be on a shirt. It's so- I don't know so why he hasn't put it on a shirt yet. I'm gonna go yell at him. That's what I'll do. I'll hang, when we hang I, up, I'm gonna go tell him to go put it on a shirt <laughs> or at least- Or like, let me put it on a shirt. I wanna put it on a shirt. <laughs> it's so brilliant. I love yeah. it so much. It's, it's, it's so good. It really does crystallize like your mixedness is your mixedness. Whether that's be your mixed ass self, the mixed race bill of rights, the, you know, you do look Asian, whatever the thing is. Um, my other one is black don't crack and Asian don't raisin. These are two things I've heard in separate places, but for me, it's both, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on those things at the same time. You're like, yes, I know I look 16 forever. Thank you. Yeah. I, I had, I had a moment yesterday with the nail salon tech, which started out potentially going to be very validating in, in the whole mixed thing. Uh, it ended up going sideways, but it was what it was uh where at first she asked me about my tattoos um because i have crane i have and uh and she says did your parents let you get those and i said i'm 45 years old my parents have no say in what i do and she goes you're 45 i can't believe it i can't believe it either so so i'm just like fine thanks you know it's fine. And then she said, um, do you just like Japanese culture? Why do you have so many Japanese tattoos? Because I also have my family crest, my kimono. I have, you know, so oh, I, just, I love this, so this much. is my Japanese arm, basically. And um, and so I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm Japanese. So that's why. And she's like, oh, you're Japanese? I didn't understand. You know, you don't really look. And so to stop her before she got into the you don't look Japanese, I hit her with, well, I'm, I'm black, too. So. That's why I look a little bit different than you're expecting. And then she goes, oh, my gosh, you're black, too. And then it went sideways again because she says, that's a strange thing to happen. And I was like, well, no, I know what you're saying, but no. <laughs> no, it's not I, actually. There's a lot of them, a lot of other people that have this ethnic makeup out yeah. there. Okay, this Everything like- could have potentially just been like, oh, oh, you're 45. You look young for your age. Black right. don't crack and Asian don't raisin. I could have made a joke. We could have laughed. We could have moved on. Ooh. Didn't quite get there. And then it ended with once she realized she was starting to say like, oh, my gosh, you don't normally see black Asians. Uh, she just asked me if I like purple. Okay. No, that's how it ended. Uh, so it's like this is the kind of thing where like people still don't really know how to talk to us when we no. are comfortably ourselves and I don't always want to tell people what I am you know it's not it's it's not always necessary but it, I can always tell that the reason why something went the way that it went was because in the back of their head they've been racking their brains the whole time oh I mean I had this conversation with someone online I don't know why I engaged but I engaged <laughs> it happens sometimes you can happen they were like you look half Asian. Are you half Asian? And it's like, yeah, I am. Well, where are you from? I'm like, I'm originally from California. Well, where are your parents from? Right. I was like, well, my mom was raised in like Monterey Park and my dad was raised in Fountain Valley. (laughs) Well, who's Asian? I'm like my dad. Well, how was he raised in California? How was he born in California? I'm like, there are Asian people everywhere. Yeah, guess what? People move all around the world. <laughs> all around the world. All around the world. Like, he just could not grasp this, and I wasn't going to help in any way. 
when a white person gets really into the weeds trying to ask me the questions like i'm from california i'm from long beach well technically i was born in sacramento but i grew up all around california and i assigned long beach the you know like going down the whole thing huh are you in long beach right now no i'm in houston right now but i'm okay okay but like that's i tell people when i say i'm from where am i from I think yeah, yeah. now I'm kind of transitioning more into saying I'm from LA because I spent, I lived there for so long, but you know, Long Beach was when my personality developed. Well, that's where I was, that's my family's still, from? yeah, my family's still in Long Beach. The the Japanese side? My, my Jewish side. Oh, your Jewish side. Because there was a big part of the Japanese population from it that got turned, like a big part of the activists started in, in Long Beach and well, San Pedro, Long Beach area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, when I go down that, when I let a white person get into the weeds with all of the questions that they like to ask, you know, I do eventually turn it, it to them and like, oh, when did you get here? Oh, 100%. And then, you know, they're like, well, I'm American. I've always been here. It's like, so have I, like multi-generational American. So when, when exactly did your people I mean, come you here? You aren't a, I mean, no, I'm sorry. Indigenous Americans are the first, the, our, our Native Americans are the first people yeah. here, the indigenous people. Yeah. They were born They here. were born here. They, they However have- many generations we've been here and not being an indigenous population, we are not from here. Our, so where's yep. your place of origin? In the case, what I really like to do is when they talk about like, oh, Ellis Island or whatever, it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, my family, my white family got here in 1711. I happen to know that. They started in the Ohio River Valley and they worked their way down into West Virginia. So my white side has been here longer than America. Does that make wow. me more American than you? Or are you still more American than me? Mm. Because you're white. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love to put them in, in that thing. Because oh, I love that, doing that's that. That's what they're, it's so. I love doing that. I love doing that. And then asking them if they speak their language. Yep. That's a good one too. Or that's if I fun. speak a little of the language, if they happen to know where they're from, you know, I know like a hand, you know, like a little bit of French, a little bit of German. Uh, I, I know like two Gaelic words or something like that just, just to see you know you're gonna try to say you claim something but yeah i i do i do like to do that with them because this you're not american unless your white thing is nonsense Ugh. this is such an old narrative and we need to put it to rest it needs to r.i.p thank you <laughs> going looking into the future and in, in as you get closer in your sustainability of mixed uh asian media because it's going to be sustainable that's the that's the name of the game that's the name of the game uh what are what are some of the goals what are you what are you hoping to to do in terms of people's access to mixed asian media i would love to be able to have a team in la i would love to have a team that is in the uk and singapore and japan i would love to have world domination basically like i see there's why no reason why we shouldn't have that love to have one in australia there are mixed people everywhere and i feel like mixed asian media should have outlets everywhere mm. so that's that's something i would love we're, we're kind of we're not quite there like it's still new york city based but then we have people in la we have people in the bay area a few people in canada a couple people in the uk so we're you know we're we're slowly branding but it's not the same thing as like oh no you need to call the la office or you need to call the the singapore office for that we're not quite there yet (laughs) but but that's the goals (laughs) like just to be able to make it so that everyone's getting a livable wage like i would i mean we're we're slowly we're we're getting there everyone's the core admin team is finally getting paid and Mm -hmm. that's a big thing is it a, a livable wage 
no, but it's something. And yeah. so we're, and my writers, some writers are getting a bit to paid with our partnership with Joy Sauce. So nice. we're yeah. slowly getting there. So for some things, we're still a all volunteer organization, mm-hmm. um, which is to me, it still blows my mind that people believe in it so much and stay with us for years and years or want to join the team. It's just, it always shocks me. I'm always just yeah. in awe. And I'm just like, oh my God, you really want to be part of this? Okay, thank you, yay. Because you feel like I have to be, like I created this, this is the the, the thing I decided for myself. But when other people want to participate, you're just like, why? They want to stay. Like my (laughs) best friend and uh, managing editor and co-founder is like stayed through all these years. I'm like, God bless you. I cannot, I, he believes in it. I just, it just amazes me that he has stuck by my side this long. Yeah. Well, it's important work, I think. And I think that for even if it's one glance that a person gets really quickly getting to see. And I think especially too, especially since you started featuring your your writers and stuff like that in on the the page, getting to see that variety of what makes Asian faces get to look like, I think is very important. Um, it's also something that I've told some podcasters as well. It's like your voice, whether accented or not accented as an Asian American is important for people to hear, not in like my voice as in the, you know, the things I have to say, but literally the sound of how different our voices can be as mixed Asians, whether or not we have accents and, or, or, you know, or not, I think is important. The, the visual, the sound and the words are all an important aspect of people looking at us as not whatever that weird entity of the modern minority myth thing is that, that they get, that they've given to us or whatever that, that we can, that we have voices and, um, our, we can our take up space. yeah, we're taking up space. Um, and, and the fact that there is starting to be more obvious solidarity movements across, um, stop Asian hate and BLM and things like that, I think is, is yeah. important too. We got a long ways to go, but you know, we do, we do, but you know, people are trying and the groups are trying and fortunately people love collaborating and mm-hmm. I think we're stronger together. Yeah. I agree with you on that one. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this show. Before we go, I have to ask the question that I ask everybody. What do you love most about being a mixed person? Oh gosh. There's a basic answer, and I know I say it all the time. I love the food. I mean, that's the so The food basic. is the shit. I think, oh, I think it's a valid thing to because put there's, out there. There's so much history. There's so much family history that goes into it. It's so layered. It's so it's intergenerational. I feel like that is so beautiful, the food, and being able to combine those things. Um, I also think, for me... My favorite thing is it's a superpower. I get to see the world from multiple sides, different mm-hmm. ways. And I feel like because of that, I can hopefully have more empathy and I can just leave the world a better place than when I came into it. Right. So I think for me, that's for me being a mixed person. I think it's great. And you're, you're putting yourself in a position to do that through the work that you've done in the organization that you've created. You know, um, you know, if you don't see it, create it. That's what I say. A hundred percent. And you, I'm yes, same page <laughs> because I was out there in the late parts of the night looking, I was interested in podcasts. So oh. I started a Google podcast and I kept seeing dead mixed podcasts after dead mixed podcasts. I mean, most yeah. of them didn't get past six episodes. I, yeah. I mean, the same thing we were looking for before we started our site 
we did a lot of research and there was nothing specifically for the mixed API narrative. There was, I was part of Swirl Nation blog when that was around. I think that's long since gone. And there really was nothing. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. Let's just create it. Let's just create it. Because I think in my case, every time I was looking for something that was mixed oriented, I always discovered it a year or two after it had dissolved. (sighs) Whether it was a festival or a blog or a media, some kind of outlet in some way, shape or form, I always discovered it later. And I always wondered, had I discovered it earlier, would I have reached out? Would I have tried to be involved? You know, but instead yeah. I decided to create something. You decided to create something. And in doing that, you've exposed a lot of other people who may have been sitting there on the Googles late at night looking for something. Um, because you need, the, you need to present something. People need to be able to find something. 100%. And thank goodness. I mean, say what you will about social media. There are some good things about it. Yeah. Yeah, because we wouldn't have been connected otherwise. If, I know. We wouldn't have found each other. And we know all the same people, but I wouldn't have known any of them either if not for social media. So um, thank you again for so much for coming to the show. In any way that Militantly Mix can be an assistant to um, Mix Asian Media, uh, 100%, I would love to continue to support in, in my broke-ass independent podcaster way. Hey, same. same. <laughs> you know, 100%. Anything we can do, I will absolutely do to help. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And for people, I didn't even say this at the start of the of the recording, but for people who are listening right now, um, I was featured in mixed Asian media. I was going to reach out to Alex after talking to uh, Mona Lisa. I was like, can you, I, w- I had told her, I was like, could you send Alex an email for me? And I go, well, actually, wait, let me get your episode, you know, like, let me, let's get this done and then I'll reach out. And then I go to look at my list and you would actually... You would actually, so it was like coming at the same time. I was like, okay, perfect. We're going to meet. It's going to be great. Um, I was like, I have to meet you. I have to meet you. At this point, we know, yeah, we know too many people in common. So thank you again so much for for featuring me and Militantly Mixed. Actually, more in particular, it was the first time that Militantly Mixed was the main focus of of a feature versus the Charmaine part, which great. Yeah, we're Charmaine is the podcast, podcast is Charmaine, all those things. But I really want to see the words Militantly Mixed bigger. Yeah. And I think with the with the feature that y'all did, Militantly Mix got to have the bigger words. And I I appreciated that because I I I do feel that work like this is important and the show is more important, I think, than than little old me. That's how I feel about ma'am. Ma'am is more important than little old me. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been really awesome. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash Militantly Mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash Militantly Mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.